Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Allah'ım iftahaneyne bi hikmetek ve şuraneyne bi rahmetek. Ya da cenani ve ikram ya alim ve alimle min ilmike ma tarda bihi anna ve la tuakhidna bima ta'lamu minna. Ya halim ve khaliqna bi khunukin hilmi hakikna bi hikakin ilm. Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma alimtina inneke antan alimun hakim. Sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. So we're continuing in Riyal uh, al-Saliheen. Just kind of like trying to familiarize, familiarize ourselves more with the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And uh, we left off, I believe, on hadith number 33. So we will pick up from hadith number 33. Uh, uh, Aisha radiallahu anha reported uh, I asked the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about pestilence Ta'un Plague basically and he said it is a punishment which Allah sends upon whosoever he wills But Allah has made it as a mercy to the believers Anyone who remains in a town which is plagued with pestilence maintaining patience expecting the reward from Allah and knowing that nothing will befall him other than what Allah has foreordained for him, he would receive a reward of shaheed. So, uh, <coughs> this is in the chapter on patience. So we're in chapter 3, is a chapter on patience. So the Prophet wasallam here is giving us this uh, encouragement towards patience in the face of uh, sicknesses, and sometimes very severe sicknesses. Um... You know, the medical people know better, but it, it seems like these things happen every so often. And uh, when they do happen, a lot of people end up dying. And so, you know, may Allah protect us from all of these things. But uh, part of what the, the, the Prophet is teaching here, he's saying is when a, when a town is afflicted by this disease, then the person is not actually supposed to leave the town. And uh, part of like uh, what what you know because what happens when they leave, is they take it to other places. So this is their qadr that they're going to be afflicted by this, and you know if they may ring around the rosies, right? You guys know the song. <laughs> you know what ring around the rosies is? Don't tell all the kids. Pocket full of posies, ashes. Why ashes? We all fall down. What happened when we fell down? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really interesting song You can go look at it yourself So he says Anyone who remains in a town which is plagued with pestilence Maintaining patience, expecting reward from Allah They will die the death of the shaheed May Allah give us Mawta shuhada either way Anas radiallahu an said I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying Allah the Glorious and Exalted said, When I afflict my slave in his two dear things, his eyes, meaning his eyes, Habibatayhi, afflict him in his eyes, or her and her eyes, and they endure patiently, I shall compensate them with Jannah. So meaning, uh, you know, if they're afflicted in their eyesight. And uh, many, many great people have been afflicted with their eyesight. And, or... Uh, either later in life or, or from the beginning of their lives And they still lived amazing lives It's a, it's a very difficult trial um, Part of what that brings to mind is that Life is multifaceted uh, 
So sometimes we can uh, get fixated on a particular thing as being the only means by which we can attain happiness in life. And then the opposite can happen as well. That if we don't have something in particular, there's no way that we can ever be happy. So if we don't have eyesight, we can never be happy. Or if we don't make X amount of money, we can never be happy. Or if we don't ever get married, we can never be happy. Or any number of other things that, that happen, right? And, uh, you know, in general, whenever we lose sight of the emphasis on Allah being the goal, then everything else is subject to uh, subject to some sort of disappointment because everything else is disappointable it's temporal, it will pass sometimes you will have it, sometimes you won't and uh, nothing is guaranteed in that realm and the only thing that is permanent is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's why, uh, you know I, as I mentioned before, when we were in Egypt and, uh, you know, sometimes it takes you it takes some time often to realize the wisdom behind things that to you as an American it just seems kind of harsh so when people would die that we knew like we had a friend uh, and his wife died and we told like the people in the building and they just said which is kind of like the standard response to death in Egypt so we were just kind of like man that's harsh like don't they and uh with time, you kind of realize, like, oh, I see now. You know, maybe whether or not they care, the point is that they're. I'll translate it. Whether or not they care, the point is that there's something profound in the aqidah that has become part of their culture. Like maybe they don't realize it when they're saying it, but it's very profound. Al baqa'ulillah means that permanence is only for Allah. Permanence is only for Allah. So when you tell them someone died, is it permanence is only for Allah? It's like very uh, wow. You're right. <laughs> it's true. Doesn't you know? Still, one can grieve, but it's a very profound concept. Thirty-five. He says, "Al-Taib ibn Abi Rubah reported that Ibn Abbas radiAllahu anhu asked him whether he would like that he should show him a woman who was from the people of Jannah." <coughs> so, Al-Taib ibn Abi Rubah, who was from the scholars of the Tabi'een. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, he was black. And Ibn Abbas <laughs> radiallahu anhumah, because you're going to see in the hadith where it's going. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah asked him whether he would like that he would show him a woman who was from the people of Jannah. When he replied that he certainly would, he said, This black woman who came to the Prophet them and said, I suffer from epilepsy. Epilepsy and during fits my body is exposed So make supplication to Allah for me So there's this woman In the time of the Prophet وسلم, She would have She would um, have epilepsy And she would her body would become exposed So she went to the Prophet وسلم, Asking for dua So the Prophet وسلم, Told her If you wish you can endure it patiently And you will be rewarded with Jannah Or if you wish I shall make supplication to Allah To cure you so there's kind of like an, an understanding here that the Prophet them if he makes dua, it's going to be done. Like his dua is accepted, right? So now he's giving her these different situations. So she said, "I shall endure it." Then she added, "But my body is exposed, so pray to Allah that it doesn't that that does not happen." No. And he, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, supplicated for her. 
It doesn't. It's not really so clear in the way that it's translated. Fadu'Allah and la atakashaf. Make du'a that I'm not exposed. In the translation, it just says, "But my body is exposed, so pray to Allah that it may not happen." What that it is, you know, could be left for uh, interpretation. But in the Arabic, it's very clear that she's she's saying, "Make du'a that I'm not exposed," and he makes du'a for that. Of course, in that there's a um, Emphasis on patience, but there's also an emphasis on uh, modesty. <coughs> so she now she got kind of like the best of both worlds in a sense, right? Like she was concerned that when this thing afflicts her, she's exposed. So she she was told, "You can be patient and get jannah for it, or I can make du'a." So she said, "Yeah, I'll I'll be patient, but can you make du'a that I'm not exposed?" So now she got both. Radiallahu anha. These little bugs are here. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu reported, I can still recall as if I am seeing the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Resembling one of the prophets whose people scourged him and shed his blood while he wiped blood from his face and he said, O oh Allah, forgive my people because they certainly do not know. They certainly do not know. So it says, "Radiyallahu an kaani anzuru ila Rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam yahki nabiyan min al anbiya'i sallawatullahi wasallamu alaihim darabahu qawmuhu fa admauhu wa huwa yamsahu dama an wajhihi yaqulu Allahu maghfirli qawmi fa innahum la yalamun tafqun alaihi." So uh, <coughs> basically, the Prophet sallallahu is being punished in this. He's not being punished. He's being tortured in this way or abused in this way. And he's wiping the blood and he's saying, Oh Allah, forgive my people because they certainly do not know. Forgive them. So he's being patient with them. And Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu and Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu reported that the Prophet said, Never a believer is stricken with a discomfort, an illness, an anxiety, a grief, or mental worry, or even the pricking of a thorn, but Allah will expiate their sins on account of their patience. Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu reported, I visited the Prophet sallallahu when he was suffering fever. I said, you seem to be suffering greatly, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet replied, yes, I suffer as much as two people. I said, is that because you have a double reward? He replied that that was so, and then he said, no Muslim is afflicted by a harm, be it the pricking of a thorn or something more, but Allah thereby causes his sins to fall away just as a tree sheds its leaves. Abu Huraira reported that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, He whom Allah intends good, he makes him to suffer from some affliction. Man bihi khayran, min. He will make him go through things. They will go through things. Um, it doesn't mean, it's not like a vindictive type thing. Right? It's not like a vindictive type thing. It's like, Walillahi al-mathal al-a'la. It's like basically everything in education. Everything in education follows the same approach, right? So it's like if you have students and you want them to actually learn, you're probably going to give them homework. And you're going to make them read. I'll give you an example. Ismail today, he wanted, you know, he didn't want to do his homework. He wants to play and he wants to do this and wants to do that. And of course, when it's homework time, I'm tired of doing this homework. I don't want to do this homework. So the lesson tells me, Walid, you have to be patient. You're not going to get anything if you're not patient. You got to do your homework. I'm like, you just spent all this time complaining. It would have been done already. 
You made it harder than it needed to be. Well, what is the homework? It's just, you know, trying to... It's like 10 minutes of homework, by the way. It's not seven hours of homework. So, or like in... Uh, our coach in, uh, in basketball in high school, he used to purposely take us... <laughs> this is maybe a, a good example. Maybe not. But he used to purposely take us to... Uh, in preseason, to get destroyed by like all the best teams in the country. <laughs> <laughs> preseason was like horrible. We go preseason, we we played like Dominguez, Compton Dominguez, which I think that's where Tyson Chandler was when we were in high school. And then uh, we played Artesia, Trevor Trevor Arisa was there. And then we played like, not Artesia, sorry, Westchester. And then that's where Trevor Arisa was. And then there was Westchester, Westchester was, and I mean there was Artesia, Artesia beat us by like 70 points. So we just get trashed by everyone in preseason, and then when season comes, you be like, "You're not afraid of anything. It's fine. Like <laughs> everything's okay. You'll do fine, right?" So sometimes you go through these things; it makes you stronger. So it's not that when Allah intends good for someone, He breaks them or something like that. When Allah intends good for the person, then it gives them a little bit of challenge, and that'll make them stronger. And Allah knows best exactly how to do that. Subhanahu wa taala. Anas radiallahu anhu reported that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, Let not one of you wish for death because of a misfortune which befalls them. If they cannot help doing so, they should say, O oh Allah, keep me alive as long as you know that life is better for me. And make me die when death is better for me. This is a really profound dua. Really profound dua. La yatamanniyanna ahadukum al-mawt li durrin asabahu fa'in kana la budd. فَاعِلًا فَلْيَقُولْ أَلَّهُمَّ أَحْيِنِي مَا كَانَتْ الْحَيَاةُ خَيْرًا لِي وَتَوَفَّنِي إِذَا كَانَتْ الْوَفَاةُ خَيْرًا لِي So it says, O oh Allah, give me life as long as life is khair for me, as long as it's good for me. And give me death as long as death, you know, if there's no, if death is what's better for me, then give me death. So there's kind of like this recognition of what the ultimate goal is. You know, if if you get to a point where you feel that upset and you go to make that dua, that dua is automatically going to reset things. Like it's going to put where the focus actually is. And you still might make the dua. There's nothing wrong with that. The Prophet gave you the dua. He gave, he, like he's straight up saying, if you're going through something that's so hard, don't wish death. Just don't get to the point where you say, oh Allah, take my life. But if you get to that point, turn it over to Allah and say, Allah, if there's good for me, give me life. And if there's not, then take my life. And if there's good, alhamdulillah. You know, it gives you a, a moving forward on that. Khabab <coughs> ibn al-Arat radiallahu anhu reported, We complained to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam regarding the persecution inflicted upon us by the disbelievers while he was lying in the shade of the Kaaba, having made a pillow out of his cloak. This narration to me, I've mentioned it before, it's remarkable. Right, so you imagine the scene. See, the Muslims are in Mecca. People are getting tortured. The situation is not good. And, and the Prophet ﷺ is doing what? Laying in the shade of the Kaaba with a pillow made out of his burda. Resting in the shade of the Kaaba. You know? I just uh, and you can't say that the Prophet didn't care I think this is an interesting hadith for people who are like so committed to activism that they ruin everything in their life 
mm-hmm. like they they're so committed to all of their causes that they that they're you know there's never any time that's down now the prophet cares he cares more than anyone cares and he knows that like at this particular moment in time that's what he can do he's taking he's taking his he's taking his break so Khabab comes and Khabab went through a lot of torture they say that he was tortured so bad on his back that it was like they burned coals on his back you know so he had like indentations on his back from the uh, from that so he says why do you not supplicate for our prevalence over the opponents and he replied sallallahu alaihi wasallam among those people before you a man would be seized and held in a pit dug for him in the ground and he would be sawed into two halves from his head and his flesh torn away from his bones with an iron comb but in spite of this he would not wean away from his faith by Allah, Allah will bring this matter to its consummation until a rider will travel from Sana'a to Hadramaut, fearing none except Allah and except the wolf for his sheep. But you are in too much of a hurry. It's a very interesting narration. One of the things to remember about the Prophet is that he speaks to people sometimes in a way that they can understand. So if you want to come to a conclusion as to how to respond to a particular situation, you would have to bring all of the various narrations that have to do with such situations. Why am I saying that? You cannot read this one hadith and be like, look how severe he replied to them. So like, I'm going to just call up all the people that are being oppressed in country X and tell them so and so, you guys need to be patient. Allah is going to bring this thing to its end and so on and so forth. It doesn't work that way, right? It's a, he, he knows who he's speaking to It's not always that the response is this way And uh, like uh, the famous other story of that of course is Sumeya and Yasir And uh, Ammar, you know the family of Sumeya and Yasir and Ammar And they're being tortured And, and the Prophet them not being able to do anything about it right? Imagine he's, these people chose to follow him Right, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. It's really interesting to think about these people. They chose to follow him, and he's passing by them, getting tortured, and there's nothing he can do about it. All he can say is sabran ala yasir, jannah. Be patient, the family of Yasir, because your your meeting point is paradise. It's all he can tell them, and Ammar will Ammar will give in and say that he doesn't believe in Allah and the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the Prophet will tell him. What did you find in your heart? And he would say, My heart was mutumainun bil iman. My heart was uh, content with belief. And he told him, If it happens again, then return to what you did. Like if, if they torture you to the point that you're talking about, you know, that got you to the point that you said that you don't believe, even though inside you still believe, then if that, that situation comes again, then go ahead and say it again. That's not it. So, like each. Each situation is being dealt with differently. That's my point. Sometimes we take like the harshest things that we can find in the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, and we prefer to use only the harshest ones on everyone else and the nicest ones only for ourselves. So we use the really nice, patient ones for ourselves and with everyone else, you know, any chance we can get, the harsh one comes. I don't know why we're like that. You know, may Allah protect us. The uh, you know the Prophet on the way here I was listening to Egyptian Quran radio 
and they were mentioning the hadith of the Prophet about how Allah um, Allah gives only good through gentleness and he gives through it what he doesn't give by anything else and uh, it's just really uh, really interesting thing to think about especially because we became so harsh today this evening was a very uh, Quran Egyptian Quran radio evening for anyone who's lived in Cairo and you know there's a time of the year in Irvine that's very similar to Cairo the weather pattern is very very similar so like today when we were driving and I was driving over and the sun had set and the heat was starting to break this is like the moment where you sit on your balcony and you drink tea and you listen to Quran radio and you wave at your neighbors and you say salam and you invite them over for tea and stuff this is like it's that time of the year it's my favorite time of the year Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad Ya Rabbi Ultaf bi Sha'ab al-Masri Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu reported after, ba- after the battle of Hunayn that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam favored some people in the distribution of spoils. He gave Al-Aqra ibn Habis and Uyayna ibn Hisan a hundred camels each and showed favor also to some more honorable persons among the Arabs. Someone said this division is not based on justice and it was not intended to win the pleasure of Allah. Can you imagine saying that to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gives the distribution and someone comes up. This division is not based on justice and it was not intended to win the pleasure of Allah. That's so raw. So he says, I said to myself, by Allah, I will inform the Messenger of Allah of this. I went to him and I informed him. His face became red and he said, who will do justice if Allah and his Messenger do not? Then he said, look at the Prophet Then he said, uh, this famous statement, right? <coughs> Musa, he said, May Allah have mercy on Musa. He was caused more distress than this, but he remained patient. Then Ibn Mas'ud said, Having heard this, I said to myself, I shall never convey anything of this kind to him in the future. <laughs> but look at his response. First of all, his anger is justified, right? Like this is a justified anger. Someone's saying that you, this was not just, and it's not for the pleasure of Allah. About the Prophet like you can't. That's a very justified anger. So he got angry, and then as soon as he and and he said, if Allah and His Messenger are not going to do justice, then who? And then immediately he calmed down and he said, Allah have mercy on Musa. He went through more than this, and he was patient. Immediately, yeah, he remembered the example, Musa salam. This is after the Battle of Hunayn. Was anyone here on Monday for the Umrah part? For the visit? What? Uh, one of the spots that you can go out to from the Haram to the Hill and make Umrah and come back in was at this location where this, like, these kind of things would have taken place. Do you remember which one it was? It wasn't Nakhna. It wasn't Tanaim. I don't remember either, that's why I'm asking. <laughs> uh, it's not it wasn't Hudaybiyah. So which ones are left? Uh, Jarana? I don't think it was Jarana. Uh, 
subhanAllah, I can't remember. Anyways. That was Nakhna. The jinn was Nakhna. This one was the spoils of Hunain. And then the Prophet them made, after the spoils were all distributed, then the Prophet them made Ihram in the nighttime, went into the Haram, made his Umrah, and left straight to Medina. That was the one. Uh, and that was afterwards. This is also the place where, in this Hunain thing, where the Ansar, some of the Ansar, they said, you know, you're giving all these spoils to everyone else, and we were the one who supported you. And the Prophet them told them, isn't it sufficient for you? That they're going home with lambs and sheep and all of these kind of things, and you're going home with the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then, as soon as it was done, he made ihram, went and made umrah, and went straight to Medina that night. Right? He went straight back to Medina that night. <coughs> Anyways, I don't remember which one it was. You can go listen to the recording once we put it up, inshallah soon. Anas radiallahu anhu reported that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, said, "When Allah intends good for His slave, He punishes." Mm, okay, he punishes him in this world But when he intends an evil for his slave He does not hasten to take him to task But calls him to account on the day of resurrection So it says إِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِعَبْدِهِ خَيْرًا عَجَّلَ لَهُ الْعُقُوبَةَ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَإِذَا أَرَادَ اللَّهُ بِعَبْدِهِ الشَّرَّ أَمْسَكَ عَنْهُ بِذَنْبِهِ حَتَّى يُوَافِيَ بِهِ يَوْمًا قِيَامًا So this says that uh, When Allah wants good for a person And they've done something that deserves punishment In the hereafter then Allah will bring a punishment to them in this life so that they don't have it on the Day of Judgment. It's already done. And if not, then He leaves it until the Day of Judgment. <coughs> Allah forgive us. <laughs> you don't wish for that either. You just wish for forgiveness. And that's, uh, inshallah, you know, may Allah forgive us. Anas radiallahu an reported One of the sons of Abu Talha was ailing Abu Talha went out and the boy died in his absence So still again on the chapter of patience Are we going to finish the chapter of patience today? Doesn't look like it You have to have patience Next one is truthfulness Anas radiallahu an reported One of the sons of Abu Talha was ailing Abu Talha went out and the boy died in his absence When he came back he inquired how was the boy Umm Sulaim, the mother of the boy, replied, Better than before. This is a mature audience hadith. Just a warning in advance, mature audience hadith. Umm Sulaim, the mother of the boy, replied, Better than before. Then she placed his evening meal before him and he ate it, and thereafter they had marital relations. At last she said to him, Arrange for the burial of the boy. In the morning, Abu Talha went to the Messenger of Allah and informed him of the event. He inquired, were you guys together last night? Abu Talha replied in the affirmative On which the Prophet ﷺ supplicated O oh Allah bless them Thereafter she gave birth to a boy Abu Talha said to me Take up the boy and carry him to the Prophet ﷺ And he sent some dates with him The Prophet ﷺ inquired Is there anything with him? He said Yes, some dates The Prophet ﷺ took a date Chewed it up and put it in the mouth of the baby And rubbed the chewed date around the baby's gum And named him Abdullah Okay, <coughs> so basically the situation that happens, there's a couple from the Sahaba, the baby dies, the boy dies, the man comes home, he asks his wife, how is the baby, the boy, she said better than before, put out his meal, make sure everything was comfortable, they spent their time together, so on and so forth, then she told him, your son has died basically, prepare his burial, 
And uh, then in the morning, the Prophet, uh, the man goes to the Prophet to tell him what happened. And uh, he's like, so were you together last night? He says, yes. And the Prophet makes dua for the child. Then after the child is born, they bring the child to the Prophet and they tell him, you know, this is the child, make dua for him, and here's some dates. And he does the tahnik, right? The tahnik is when you take a little bit of date and you rub it in the baby's gums. And he names him Abdullah. The narration of Bukhari adds, Ibn Uyayna relates that a man from the Ansar told him that he had seen nine sons of this Abdullah, every one of whom had committed the Qur'an to memory. Every one of whom was a Hafid, that child. That child had nine children, all of them were Hufad. The narration of Muslim says, uh, it's much longer, so I'll just read it. Uh, the son of Abu Talha, who was born of Umm Sulaim, died. She said to the members of the family, Do not tell Abu Talha about his son until I mention it to him myself. Abu Talha came home and she gave him supper. He ate and drank. She then beautified herself in the best way she ever had She ever had done so. And they spent time together. And then she said, Oh Abu Talha, if some people borrow something from another family and then ask for its return, would they refuse to give it back to them? He said, No. She said, Then hope reward for your son. Abu Talha got angry and said, You left me uninformed until we were together and then you told me about my son. He went to the Messenger of Allah and informed him about the matter. Thereupon the Prophet said, May Allah bless the night you spent together. The narrator said she conceived, and one day the Messenger of Allah was in the course of a journey, and she was along with him. When the Messenger of Allah used to come back to Al-Medina from a journey, he would not enter it during the night. When the people came near Al-Medina, she felt labor pains. He, Abu Talha, remained with her, and the Messenger of Allah proceeded on. Abu Talha said, O oh, oh, Rabb, you know that I love to go along with the Prophet when he goes out and enter along with him when he enters and I have been detained as you see not detained like in a bad way don't read it wrong like I've been prevented from you know my situation prevents me from being with him Um Sulaim then said O Abu Talha I do not feel so much pain as I was feeling earlier so we better proceed on so we proceeded on and she felt the labor of delivery as they reached Medina she gave birth to a male child my mother said to me, O oh, Anas, none should suckle him until you go to the Messenger of Allah tomorrow morning. The next morning I carried the baby with me to the Messenger of Allah, and he narrated the rest of the story. Sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Hadith number 45. Abu Huraira narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallam, said, The strong man is not one who is good at wrestling, but the strong man is one who controls himself in a fit of rage, controls his anger. <coughs> So both of these actually kind of get to this point of like being able to develop some capacity over controlling one's emotions. This doesn't mean that you don't have the emotions, which is a very important distinction. We tend to believe sometimes in the Muslim community that the way to actually have patience or the way to actually have this or that is to just not feel anything at all. Not feeling anything at all is not the point here. The point here is being able to have control over it. So the person can have like all kinds of anger and they're able to control the anger. She surely had all kinds of uh, sorrow about the death of her child and she was able to control it until she felt that it was an appropriate time to share with her husband. So uh, this is something I think that is lost now in, in our culture. Like just 15 years ago, there was an idea of like when you tell people things and there was an like for example, 15 years ago, if something happens during the day and you want to tell your husband or your wife about it, you tell them at nighttime, at dinner. You know, like you go through your whole day, you come home, 
You sit down and you talk about whatever happened during the day. Now what is it? As soon as anything comes up with regard to anyone at all times, you send them a message. So there's like 15 messages during the day that are going to the person. That all of those 15 messages, they would have been shifted and sifted through and filtered and so on and so forth. And the three most important probably would have made it to the dinner table. <laughs> and the other ones, they probably weren't that important anyways. So there's like some sort of control over... Like, okay, I can share this, and I don't need to share this, and I can be patient with this one, and so on. So there's, like, an understanding of how to control that, you know. So this is this is also part of sabr, is to have some sort of uh, develop a capacity to sit with something before you act. So you feel maybe some anger. Okay, I'm going to sit with that anger before I act upon it. Feel some sort of anxiety, feel some sort of whatever it might be. I'm going to sit with it before I do something. I'm not just going to immediately go into action. So developing that, and that develops in that capacity um, to engage with it in such a way. 46, Sulaiman ibn Surah radiallahu an, Surah radiallahu an, narrates, I was sitting with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa when two men began to quarrel. I always say that there's so many hadith that say, I was sitting with the Prophet and this happened. I was sitting with the Prophet and this happened. And they were actually living life. He said, I was sitting with the Prophet and two people began to quarrel and curse each other and face the face of one of them turned red and the veins of his neck were swollen from rage. And the Messenger of Allah said, I know of a word if he were to utter that his rage would vanish and that is, A'udhu Billahi Rajim. So they said that to him, they said to him, the Prophet tells you to utter, I seek refuge from Allah, the, 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 the accursed Satan. It doesn't tell what happened after that. Unfortunately, that would have been interesting. <coughs> <coughs> so, you know, when the Prophet is saying that if he says a word, like it has to be, a, you know, like there's a word that's not meant. It's not really a word. Like it has to be a true word. person truly, they get really angry and they truly stop and say, It will stop them. But it can't be like, I'm really angry and I'm going to say, and I'm still going to be angry. Right? Like, my mind is already made up that I'm just going to do this out of like technicality and I'm going to keep it moving. My anger. Allah protect us from our anger. Mu'adh ibn Anas reported the Messenger of Allah said, The one who suppresses anger and has the power to give effect to it will be called out by Allah the Exalted to the forefront of the creatures on the day of resurrection and he will be asked to choose any of the hur of his liking. This one is seemingly uh, <coughs> you know, specific. But the point is that the person has anger and they can act upon it. Which is a whole different level, right? Like to, to get angry and not act upon it when you can't act upon it is one thing. <laughs> you can't do anything about it, right? And But when you could actually do whatever you want with that anger and you still control it, that's a whole different level. That person will have a great reward. Abu Huraira reported that the messenger, a man asked the Prophet ﷺ for advice and he said, do not get angry. The man repeated several times and he replied, do not get angry. So again, the Prophet is giving specific advice to a specific person. You know, sometimes he would tell this person that, this person this. Don't become angry. This doesn't mean don't get angry at all. It means don't be subject to your anger. Like, make sure that your anger is in the right place, that it's at the right time. Basically, in the right time, in the right place, with the right level. 
This is this is what's being asked. Not get rid of anger entirely. Getting rid of anger anger entirely is not one of the objectives of uh, of uh, Muslim spirituality, as as far as I know from everything I've seen. There may be exceptions. You have that in like uh, some Eastern spirituality. You just get rid of the thing entirely. Our our approach is more. You you put it in the right place with the, you know right level as we've talked about before in other days. Abu Hurairah reported the Messenger of Allah says a Muslim male or female continues to remain under trial in respect of his life, property, and offspring until he faces Allah the Exalted with no sin. That they keep going through these things until. Patiently, patiently, patiently Until they come to Allah And there's nothing left upon them So we'll stop here Because that puts us at number 50 Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ala Sayyidina Muhammad Wa ala hani wa sallam Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen